Well, good morning and welcome to Kennesaw Family Life Church. Welcome to part eight of our First Corinthians series. We have been walking through over the last two months as we started out this new year, talking about the book of First Corinthians. If you're new to Kennesaw Family Life Church, we like to preach through books of the Bible. That way we can't hide from scripture. We tackle things head on. We want to hear and read those things in context, not just pull things out, but read them in context so we have a better understanding of what the author was trying to say and how it might fit into our situation. When we understand the context, we understand its purpose. Then we can apply it to our lives. So Paul wrote this book. If you know anything about uh, the apostles in the New Testament, Paul not somebody that walked with Jesus, actually opposed the church when it first started. And then he had this encounter with Jesus that uh, where he was blinded on the road to Damascus. And, and then God healed him and Jesus appeared to him. This is after he already ascended to heaven, appeared to him and said, Paul, I'm sending you to the Gentiles. And so Paul flipped 180, that whole repentance story, and started going to preach the gospel. He wanted to go to the Jews, but the Jews were rejecting the gospel, so he went to the Gentiles and let Peter deal with the Jews. And so he planted this church in Corinth, and Corinth was a, a seaside city that was a wealthy city. It was kind of like New York City or Los Angeles. It was big. It was at the center of culture. And in those times, if you were one of the most popular people, you were somebody that debated philosophy. You would sit in the town square and you would be eloquent with words and you could share those things. And those were the high, um, the people that were looked up to. Actually, if you worked with your hands, you were kind of looked down upon. And so Paul planted this church in Corinth and God gave him some wisdom. If you remember at the beginning of the series, he God told him not to use eloquent speech, but to do very simple, which goes against their culture. He, God wanted them to choose him because the Holy Spirit was working in their lives and they chose to follow him, not because of a persuasive speech. So that's kind of where this began. And now Paul hands the church off to Apollos and he goes on to plant more churches, which is what he was called to do. And the church is going and Paul gets finds out that people are fighting it with each other. They're fighting over who's a better speaker, who's the better leader. I follow Paul, I follow Apollos. And there was arguing and division in the church over things that didn't matter. And over the last few weeks, we've heard Paul say, grow up, mature, get off of the milk and get onto the deeper things of God. Stop letting the sinful nature rule you. Stop getting stuck on the little things and follow God's plan. And that kind of sums up where we're at. And that takes us to the next step. Remember, this is a letter. Now, it's broken down in your scripture into chapters and verses. That was to help you remember. But this was a letter. It's kind of a continuous thought. As Paul breaks on to different things, it was a long letter. And he gets into more instruction to the church. But we're still kind of coming off of that division. And Paul told us we're all on the same team. We're all working together. So this next section of the letter is dealing with the immaturity of the believers and they're arguing and all of that. And it's kind of the tone that you get in chapter four, which is where we're at. It's kind of like a parent reprimanding the child. Now think about that. The, ch the child thinks they know what's best and that the parent is out of touch re with, with reality. Think about being a teenager, maybe a teenager or in your 20s. And really it, it's that 14 to 17 year old range, maybe 18 that you're kind of like, man, my parents don't understand. They don't get it. 
you think you know everything. Some of you have heard me say that my dad had a poster, why don't you go ahead and leave now while you still know everything? And, and it, you haven't experienced life yet. You haven't seen how things happen. And, and everything on paper looks like it should be like this. But in reality, it's something much different. And so Paul's kind of reprimanding them like a parent in this chapter. He even uses a little bit of sarcasm, which is one of the things I love about Paul. So if you want to jump over to chapter 4, we're going to jump into this in just a minute. And I'll give you the first point. The steward is accountable to the master. The steward is accountable to the master. What does that mean? What does that mean? I'm using language we don't use a whole lot, but here's what it means. Say I'm a manager of a store. Say I'm managing Walmart. I'm just going to throw a Walmart. I'm managing a Walmart. The corporate office of the Walmart, the person that hires me, my authority, they have a system and a plan for how they want Walmarts to be run. They have an organizational structure. They have how they want displays to look. They have all of these pieces. I can't come in as the manager of that store and go against what my authority is telling me to do. I need to, even if I think I have a better way of doing it. Now, I could take it to my authority and say, hey, what do you think about this? But they said, this is the way we want you to do it. In the end of the day, you do what they tell you to do. Because you're the steward of what you've been given. You've been given this Walmart to manage. You're not going to go in there and say, you know what? All this time the automotive's been back off in the corner. We think that's a terrible idea. We, I think that people are coming into Walmart to buy automotive parts. So I'm going to move automotive right here by the front center of the store. So that everybody that comes through and everybody that checks out has to go through automotive. What do you think would happen if me... As the manager, if I made that decision when the corporate store of Walmart comes in and say, man, I'm going to be in trouble, right? I'm probably going to lose my job. Because the steward is accountable to the master. That's what this is. We all need to follow the instructions of our master. My job is not to do it the way I want. It's to do it the way they've instructed me. I'm under authority. I need to follow that authority, even if I think there's a better way. Now, in a lot of organizations, you get a lot of say in what you do, and that's, there's organiza organizational structures. I'm not. This isn't about uh, a flatline thing, but we're all accountable to authority. So here's the tone. I want you to look at the first five verses of chapter four. We're going to cover the whole chapter. It's quite long, by the way, but we're going to get through it. We won't take too long. But the first five verses, let's look at this. It says, so look at Apollos and me as servants of Christ, who have been put in charge of explaining God's mysteries. Now, a person who is put in charge as a manager must be faithful. As for me, it matters very little how I might be evaluated by you or by human authority. I don't even trust my own judgment on this point. My conscience is clear, but that doesn't prove I'm right. It is the Lord whom himself who examines me and decides. So don't make judgments about anyone ahead of time before the Lord returns, for he will bring our darkest secrets to light and will reveal our private motives. Then God will give to each one whatever praise is due. Now, do you see the parallel there? Paul and Apollos were charged by God to preach the gospel, to go out 
and make disciples and share the gospel. They're accountable to God for that. In this example, they're the managers and God is the boss saying, look, I have told you to go and preach the gospel, to go and make disciples. For Paul, I told you to go to the Gentiles and do it. For Apollos, I want you to stay here in Corinth and pastor these leaders. But they're under the authority of God. They're accountable to God and really no one else. Now, in our current structure, I'm a pastor, but I'm a part of the Assemblies of God. I have authority in the Assemblies of God above me. They don't tell me what to preach, but they're there in case I go way off the rails. So if I preach something that's just like, whoa, that's not in my scripture, you have somebody you can go to to say, hey, Larry's not preaching the gospel quite the way we read it. And there's a there's somebody that I'm accountable to to keep me in line so I don't go off. Because let's, stay, let's face it. How many people as leaders without accountability kind of create their own gospel? They get way off the rails because there's nothing there holding them on. And so we're accountable to somebody. But Paul and, and Apollos were saying, look, we're accountable to God because they're the ones delivering this message that wasn't there. All they had was the Old Testament scripture. Actually, they're writing the New Testament as they go along. They don't even realize it. They did not come to please the apostles. Remember, these apostles, we talked about the foundation, Jesus being the cornerstone, and the church was built on the apostles and prophets. Remember, they were the apostles, the ones Christ sent to tell the story. They're the ones building that foundation. They did not come to please men, but to please God. Too many of our churches over the, over the years have programmed themselves to please men. Think about it for a second. If enough people in the church complain about something, they'll change it, even if it's not something that would be good to change. Pleasing men. Now, there's nothing wrong with doing things that people enjoy and presenting the gospel in a way that people will enjoy it, that they, that they, won't, that they, can, they can understand. And enjoy is probably the wrong word. But using our, our technology and using the means that we have to connect with the gospel doesn't mean that there's one way to do it, but we don't change the gospel. We still are out to make disciples. We're still to do those things. And sometimes we water things down so that we don't offend people so that we can be there and, and get everybody and make everybody happy instead of telling them actually what the gospel is. That's why we preach through the books. So we don't skirt over things that we think are going to offend people. We want to hit the gospel head on and hear it from the heart of God and filter it through who Jesus is, his character and who he is so that we can have a full understanding of what God's telling us so that we don't stray off. Remember, they did not come to please men, but to please God. I think of it this way. Think of a parent. If you're a parent or, you know, maybe you've seen a parent, parents make decisions for their children, not based on what their children want, or what their children think they want, but on what is best for their children. And sometimes, sometimes that makes the children angry. Sometimes the way, and, and I think about Jennifer and I, and the way we raised our kids, we made decisions for our kids based on how we felt like God wanted us to raise them. We're accountable to God for that. And sometimes those decisions our children didn't like, Sometimes those decisions, other parents looked at us and thought we were being weird or too hard or whatever. 
but I'm not accountable to my children or to those parents for how I raise my children. I'm accountable to God. So we had to raise our children and make decisions for our children as they were growing up. They're all adults now. But we had to make decisions for what we thought was best for them, what we felt like God was leading was best for them, not necessarily what they wanted. Now, what the beauty of it is, and, I, and I'm proud of my children, I watched them make decisions because they learned how to make decisions that would be best for themselves based on their relationship with God and what they've learned. That's how this process works. I'm accountable for how I raise my kids. And that influences every decision that we make. Paul is telling the Corinthians he's not here to impress them or to tell them what they want to hear. I am here to be a good steward of what God has told me to do. That's what Paul is saying. I'm not here to please you. Stop fighting over who's the better preacher and all these other things. And stop telling everybody how great you are. Because that's not why I came. I came to share the gospel to tell you about Jesus because Jesus changed my life and he told me to go and make disciples, to go tell other people about him. God is who will judge me. Look at James 3 verse 1. Now this is a, a scripture talking about teachers. Now Paul was a teacher. I am a teacher. We're telling people and teaching people the gospel is what pastors and teachers do. But listen to this verse. This is, Dear brothers and sisters, not many of you should become teachers in the church. For we who teach will be judged more strictly. If all I'm ever doing is telling you what you want to hear and not what you need to hear, I'm accountable to God for that. Because if you don't have the appropriate understanding of who God is and maybe the change that needs to happen inside... And your relationship with God wanes because of that. I'm accountable for how I've taught you. What you do with it, you're accountable for. But I'm accountable for what I've taught you. God is the one that judges. And I get judged more harshly because I am a teacher. I don't take that lightly. God knows our heart. He knows our motives and what's behind what we're doing. That's why he's the one that judges. That's why it says in verse 5, so don't make judgments about anyone ahead of time before the Lord returns, for he will bring our darkest secrets to light and will reveal our private motives. Then God will give to each one whatever praise is due. He knows our hearts. He knows that if somebody is using the gospel just for their own gain, for their own pride, or for to pad their bank account, or whatever it may be, he knows their heart. I don't. I can only see the fruit. Which leads me to the second thing is God has a different standard of success. That's the second point. God has a different standard of success. Look at verses 6 through 13. Dear brothers and sisters, I have used Apollo and myself to illustrate what I've been saying. If you pay attention to what I have quoted from Scripture, you won't be proud of one of your leaders at the expense of another. For what gives you the right to make such a judgment? What do you have that God hasn't given you? If everything you have is from God, why boast as though it were not a gift? You think you already have everything you need. You think you are already rich. You have begun to reign in God's kingdom without us. Did you catch that? And then don't gloss over that. It says you have begun to reign in God's kingdom without us. That arrogance, that pride. 
I wish you were really reigning already, for then we would be reigning with you. Instead, I sometimes think God has put us apostles on display like prisoners of war at the end of a victor's parade, condemned to die. We have become a spectacle to the entire world, to people and to angels alike. Our de dedication to Christ makes us look like fools, but you claim to be wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are so powerful. You are honored, and but we are ridiculed. Even now we go hungry and thirsty, and we don't have enough clothes to keep warm. We are often beaten and have no home. We work wearily with our own hands to earn our living. We bless those who curse us. We are patient with those who abuse us. We appeal gently when evil things are said about us. Yet we are treated like the world's garbage, like everybody's trash, right up to the present moment. Wow. There was a lot in there. There was sarcasm. Did you catch all that Paul was saying there? Let me sum it up this way. There were those that had become leaders in the church in Corinth that basically were saying, look, they're great communicators. Remember, Corinth was all about that. They're great communicators. They latch onto this and they're sharing their earthly wisdom. They're sharing their things and how they think the gospel works. And putting aside Paul, ridiculing Paul, because he worked with his hands. He was a tent maker. He intentionally went into some places, even though in scripture he says, look, the servant is worthy of his wage. There were places that Paul went that he worked with his own hands to support his ministry. Sometimes the Holy Spirit had him do it for that very reason, so that nobody could say they owned Paul because they were paying his salary. That's always been a lot of tension in the church. I have no problem with pastors getting paid by a church to lead a church, especially as they get bigger, because there are different responsibilities. They earn their wage. But at the same time, when you have co-vocational pastors who work outside of the church to support the ministry that they do, it's very much like what Paul's talking about here. The people were looking down upon Paul and even Apollos at times because they worked with their hands. They did things. They didn't use big words or persuasive speech. Unlike these so-called great leaders, God wanted the people to come to him because they want a relationship with him, not because of a persuasive speech. Now, the people that Paul was speaking to, these leaders, the ones that were kind of opposing him and saying all these things, causing the division, they were relying on their earthly wisdom, like I had just said. They were relying on their own ability. They were basically confused with what really mattered. Think about this. How many pastors or well, back in the day, like television preachers, well, you get them now, you get them on the internet, you get different people that gather a really big following. But when you really dig into what they're saying, it's very superficial, maybe not even lining up with the word of God. Those happen charismatic people that get a big crowd, but the depth level is very, very shallow. Now, I'm not saying every pastor that has a large church or anything like that is shallow. That's not it at all. But there are those out there that are all concerned about growing their brand or their name. I remember hearing the quote of one pastor who actually ended up stumbling and falling and losing everything. Uh, there's a documentary about it. But I remember hearing him say, well, I'm kind of a big deal. 
They had quotes of him saying, I, I'm kind of a big deal, aren't I? And so they got, they began to be, believe their own hype and, and it became more about them and less about the one they were accountable to, God. And I don't think people start out that way. I think it happens. But they were confusing social standing and wealth to be a blessing of God. See, some people confuse the blessing of God with all of these material things and status and large churches and all of that. Let me tell you, some of the people that have some of the smallest ministries in the world are the most anointed by God because they're doing what God's asked them to do where God's asked them to do it. And we think that that the only way that we're successful is if everything blows up. Well, that's not necessarily true. God knows the heart. God knows what he's trying to do in that situation. I firmly believe, and I've, I've shared this story before, that a church that we worked at in Tampa that does not exist, it was a church plant, lasted only a few years, but there were a couple key lives that were changed. One by a name of, a guy by the name of John, who was homeless, went from living in his car, estranged from his family, before, and he died, but before he died, he got a job, had a place to live, was reunited with his daughters. All of that happened before he had a heart attack and died. And then it wasn't but a few months later, the church went through some difficulties that were kind of out of everybody's control that ended up shutting the church down. And I honestly believe, and I felt this in my spirit, that God brought that church there. It touched many lives, but specifically for John. I think there are no bounds to what God will do, and we can't judge the success of a ministry based on our standards. It's God that judges that. It's God that lays that groundwork. We can't confuse what other people think as or what earthly success looks like as if God's not in it. In fact, there's plenty of scripture out there that says that those of us that follow Christ are going to suffer. Doesn't that sound great? He loves suffering, right? Look at this. 1 Peter 4.13 says this. Instead, be very glad for these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when you, it is revealed to the world. And then James 1, 2 through 4, which you've probably heard before, says, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect, complete, and needing nothing. There are a ton of scriptures. Peter writes a lot about it, about the suffering of those that follow Christ. The apostles, Paul even said it, we feel like we're like the ones that are in chains after the victor parade condemned to die. We're the ones that are being mocked and, and stoned. Paul has been stoned many times and we're not talking about with drugs. We're talking about physical stoning. They were martyred. Peter was martyred upside down. They suffered greatly for preaching the gospel. How does that look like success? Yet they were building the foundation that was for the church that's still going over 2,000 years later. That is success. That is what makes a difference. I'm sure it didn't look like success back then. I'm sure it did not feel like success back then. I'm sure there were countless hours where they're like, what in the world are we doing? But they had the peace of God, the drive of God, the anointing of the Holy Spirit within them. 
that drove them forward with boldness because they knew they were his. Human approval does not always mean God's blessing. Just because people think you're great doesn't mean you're the in the right place. I even this isn't even in my notes. I sat on a uh, a Zoom meeting yesterday with some other leaders, and our guest for that day was a man that went and planted a church, and the church grew and eight hundred thousand people, pretty successful church, and he realized. The Holy Spirit just spoke to him. He realized that that he wasn't where God wanted him to be. That what the church was doing was very superficial. It wasn't really ministry the way that God had called him to do ministry. And he had to totally shift. And now he's leading, he's leading an organization that has hundreds of churches. Small home churches that are making a difference in their community. But he realized that the success and the pats on the back and being invited to speak at all these conferences and everything wasn't the approval of God. It was just the approval of men that he was way off track from where God was calling him to go. See, sometimes when we get successful, we see a church grow. We see something grow and we think, well, that person must have the key when sometimes that person is way off base and they're growing on the wrong foundation. That's what was happening in Corinth. Paul was trying to shift things back to the right foundation. Remember, Jesus is the cornerstone. Build on the teachings that we have given you. The apostles, the ones that interacted with Jesus. It's about the heart. Now, I want to tell you, I, I said that some were going to suffer. Remember, even some of those that suffer aren't necessarily right with God because sometimes we wear our suffering like it's a badge and we have to keep the heart in the right place. It's about the heart. It's about being obedient. We cannot look at the outside to know if somebody's right with God. It comes from the inside and shows in our heart. That's where the fruit of the Spirit comes in. I know I quote the fruit of the Spirit a lot, but this is really what the Spirit's job is to grow these things in our lives. So I want to keep telling it. I want, to, I want us to know this. We can look at a ministry and see if the fruit of the Spirit's happening is, here's the fruit. It's out of Galatians 5, 22 and 23. It says, the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives, lives, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It says there's no law against these. See, if that's the fruit that's being poured out of the ministry, then it's on track with him. These are the things that define a Christ follower. It's the fruit of the Spirit. It's those that are seeking to follow the will of God. So I want to wrap up with this. The last point, live by God's power. Live by God's power. Let's look at verses 14 through 21 of chapter 4. Paul says, I'm not writing these things to shame you, but to warn you as my beloved children. For even if you had 10,000 others to teach you about Christ, you have only one spiritual father. For I became your father in Christ Jesus when I preached the good news to you. So I urge you to imitate me. That's why I've sent Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord. He will remind you how to follow Christ Jesus, just as I teach in all the churches everywhere I go. Some of you have become arrogant, thinking I will not visit again. But I will come, and soon, if the Lord lets me. And then I will find out 
whether these arrogant people just give pretentious speeches or they really have God's power. For the kingdom of God is not just a lot of talk, it's living by God's power. Which do you choose? Should I come with a rod to punish you, or should I come with love and a gentle spirit? There's some really key things in there that I, I think, I, I love verse 20. It says, for the kingdom of God is not just a lot of talk, it's living in God's power. It's allowing the power of God to flow through you. Paul said, look, there could be a thousand voices telling you about Jesus. But you must live by the Spirit. And we were the ones that shared this with you because we were with Christ. We are the ones that imitate who He is. We're laying this foundation. If all these other people come in and tell you all these different ways to serve God and they don't line up with this foundation, then you're in the wrong place. The Spirit of God gives you the discernment to know. That's why it's so important we know the Word of God and test what we hear in context. I urge you, look at what I teach. If it is out of context or if I say something that you don't understand or even goes against the Word of God as you see it, tell me. Let's talk about it. There may be a reason why I share it that way. You may have an understanding or I may need to correct what I've said. Yeah, you heard me right. As a pastor, I can sometimes miss it. So that's why it's so important that we are led by the Spirit of God, that it's not just all these voices. That's why, I, man, there are some great preachers and teachers out there, but sometimes, sometimes we fill ourselves with all these voices and memes and cute little slogans and scripture taken out of context, and we built our faith journey out of scriptural sayings taken out of context because it's a somebody posted it and it was really encouraging at that time but you look at it it has absolutely nothing to do with what it was written or the context and sometimes we make God and scripture say things that was never intended to say we've got to stay firmly rooted on the foundation of Christ Jesus and the apostles and their teaching the scripture the word of God God will make all truth known through the Holy Spirit. That's why we have to follow the Spirit. That's why we have to make sure that what we hear and what we're learning lines up with the Word of God. It just doesn't make us feel good, but actually lines up with the Word of God so that we can know the heart and character of God. So we can know who He truly is. Here's some takeaways for today. Just want to wrap it up with this. First, strive to please God, not men. He's our master. He called us, you and I, if you're a believer of Jesus, you are a disciple. And he called us to go and make disciples. By the way we live, by the things we do, we're striving to please God, not man. We need to remember that. We need to remember that we're not out here just to, to get ourselves accolades, but we're out here to see people's lives changed. And that brings us to a pleasing place with God. It starts with the change in us, being in right relationship with Him, and then sharing it with the ones that are around us. Second thing is, is God's version of success is different than man's. Remember Paul said, God, the wisdom of man, I look foolish. I know to some people around me, even in the church world, what I do as a pastor, the ministry that God has called Jennifer and I to do looks foolish to some. But I'm not accountable to them. I'm accountable to God and what he's called us to do and the way he's called us to love Kennesaw, the way he's called us to love the ones that he's brought to us. 
to demonstrate that love and, and that grace and the compassion and to teach and correct as the way God has called us to. So God's version of success is different than man's. And the last one is live by the power of the Spirit of God and His Word. Live by the power of God's Spirit and His Word. So here's the thing. If we're truly seeking God, I, I think of the Asbury revival that's, that's going on right now and that's creeping up in, in universities and places all over the country. People have criticized, people have looked down on, and I'm like, man, who am I to say that's not of God unless the Spirit tells me it's not of God? I haven't seen anything that says that that's not of God. There's no formula. Whether you call it a revival, a renewal, or just an awakening, I don't care what you call it. God's pouring out His Spirit. And if we're living to seek out God and to seek out His Spirit, His Spirit will tell us and give us discernment to what's of Him and what's not. Who are we to judge at that point? Outside of following God and His Spirit, making sure that the things we are involved in and the things we do celebrate line up with Him and His Word. And then we should celebrate it. We're all on the same team, man. If people are coming and spending hours before God on their face and in His presence, praise God. But it's not happening to me. Well, maybe, maybe God has a different plan for us. Or maybe we're not seeking Him enough for that to happen. I don't know. I'm not God. Here's what I do know. In my place and in my circumstance, I'm going to follow God the way he's called me to, to the best of my ability to honor him in everything I do and say, and let him do with me what he wants to do. And I think if we live surrendered to him in that way, we will please the Father and we'll hear well done. That's what we're going for today. That's what we want to do. We want to hear well done. We want to be accountable. So strive to please God and not man. Remember God's success looks different than man's. Just live by his spirit and his word. Allow him to guide you in that way. Let me pray with you right now. Father, we are so grateful to be in your presence and your power. Lord, I pray that you would pour your spirit on us today. Lord, give us a hunger to just sit in your presence. Give us a hunger to do your work and your will. Lord, help us to focus on what you're focused on and not just what we think men want or what we think will make us popular. Lord, we just want to please you. Help us to strip away everything that doesn't and to focus on you and what you've given us to do. You are our master. Help us to be good stewards. We thank you for what you're doing in us and what you're going to do through us. In Jesus' name, amen. We love you and we look forward to seeing you again soon.